Welcome to our podcast, Wise Black Nana's Life Coaching Between the Dash. Hey, what do you do when it feels like life has thrown you a few too many challenges, knocked you down, in the bed, hard to talk about even with your best friend challenges, and it feels like the challenges are winning? Wouldn't it be nice to hear from your Nana or a stand-in Wise Black Nana? Well, they are Wise Black Nana's. Charlotte Walker, PhD, and Joanne Early, MS, two mature women with over 70 plus years of combined coaching and mentoring, professional human resources, and business experience. The wonderful news is these wise black nanas are still living and learning about this amazing life, about resilience and grit, gratitude and appreciation, and the extraordinary power of love and friendships, being positive and supportive, and learning from others. Welcome to Wise Black Nanas. Let's listen in. Hello, I am Dr. Charlotte Walker, and on our last podcast, we shared some of our thoughts and experiences related to stigmas. We included some examples of cultural and social stigmas. We touched on one stigma of strong Black women. And welcome. I'm Joanne Early of uh, Wise Black Nana's Life Coaching uh, Between the Dash. And it is all about us sharing some of our lived experience with you. So on this podcast, we're going to take a little deeper dive into something that we mentioned the last time, strong Black women. We think it's a very fascinating topic. I've been around for quite some time. We don't know whether it's really a the phrase itself is some kind of myth. We've even seen it referred to as a syndrome. Sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative, sometimes controversial. Of course, we did a little research. However, like everything else with Black women, it's not been researched that much. Um, however, it's very widely known in the Black community because it's there present and always underlying. So, you know, this is our view, what we've seen, what we felt, what we've experienced in our own lives, and also what we know others are experiencing, um, you know, through our uh, coaching uh, roles and through our coaching uh, experiences. So just what does strong Black woman mean? Is it some kind of cultural thing just for Black women? Oh, sister, that is such a very interesting question because, you know, we are, all of us uh, are identified in some kind of way as strong Black women, whether we want to be or not. So during the research for this uh, topic, uh, I was a little disappointed that there was really not a lot of recent research um, studies or um surveys related to the strong black woman mm. uh, the data was very limited and what i did find was within the last 10 years uh the population that had been surveyed or either studied were mostly black college women mm-hmm. with undergraduate and graduate degrees in the age range of uh, 23 to 28. Now, that age group doesn't really uh, cover us that are past 28. So <laughs> <laughs> um, that's an area that needs to be further explored. And probably as the uh, ec- ec- research economic person in the partnership, I might do that. Might, might not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it depends on how we want to work it is. So we'll see. Okay. So the definition that uh, I did find was it is an image of Black women as intangible, able to endure hardship, unscathed, and in possession of incredible strength. Yeah, interesting, huh, Dr. Sharla? I mean, uh, we made, yeah. <laughs> we may not find very much research, but those of us that are over 28 uh, actually know that this has been a phenomenon in our community for years and years and years. In fact, um, what we've seen is that Black girls are kind of socialized to be strong, you know, under the promise that, you know, strength will somehow get us through, will somehow uh, uh, negate 
you know, the the psychological resistance to oppression that we've had in this American society forever. Culturally, culturally uh, many young Black girls are just taught, kind of conditioned um, in childhood by their mamas, their grandmamas, and their aunties. You know, <laughs> they're threatened into silence that we're supposed to endure uh, generational trauma, sometimes physical and sexual abuse, to be strong, to bear it, because that's our burden. You know, we've kind of built in, and I say we, you know, maybe I'm speaking generationally here, um, but we've we've been, it's kind of been built into us the expectation of being in some kind of super role in our homes. And this carries over certainly into the professional life, kind of some kind of super Super, I don't know what superwoman. <laughs> yes, that's probably some of the audiences probably heard uh, an interchangeable phrase called superwoman, which is often associated with being a strong black woman. Why? <laughs> Wise black men of nanas do not know, <laughs> but <laughs> there seems to be a set of criteria or characteristics that describe strong Black women cultural attitudes. Now, hmm. this is from research, so here goes. Uh, one is obligation to manifest strength. Hmm. Obligation to suppress emotion. Know that well. <laughs> Resistance to being vulnerable or dependent. Determination to succeed despite limited resources. And here we have this word again, obligation. Notice that we are talking about obligation. We have found that in strong Black woman syndrome or symptom myth uh, are still relevant today and have been present over the generational from silent generation to Gen Zs, by varying degrees and with differences, excuse me, different demands, obligations. In earlier generation, it certainly did not have a name. <laughs> I think it had a name, but it was whispered. It was still yeah. a black woman. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe the black was a different word. Anyway, and had... <laughs> and had different demands and obligations. There's that word again, obligation. Woo, that's a yoke to bear. Now with a name that still can and does mean something different based on many variables. Wise Black Nanas think and witness through our own exposure and interaction with younger generations, the cultural handoff appears different, perhaps not as much obligation, still with the inner voice or drive that compels us to be stronger, resilient, better. Now there's a place where some research is needed. Anyway, that's another topic, another program, another project for Wise Black Nanas. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, you can't seem to talk about strong Black women or that superwoman, Black woman, without hearing those words, strong, resilient, better. The the whole superwoman, uh, strong Black woman um, reference, lots of words around, lots of definition, lots of understanding around strength and resilience and grit as we bring home the bacon and fry it up to how about some disadvantages? You know, some of the disadvantages, I think, um, and we've all seen it when we try to do everything, be everything to everybody, um, be there, uphold our uh, roles at home, uphold our responsibilities at work. We're involved in a lot of community uh, uh, roles also. We suffer from a lot of stress and anxiety. Um, sometimes it's depression. Um, that we certainly don't like talking about because of the stigma that's associated with that. But there's much emotional and physical impact. We have an erosion in our confidence. 
And sometimes we're very, very lonely when we try to stay in the strong Black woman role and we isolate ourselves because maybe we don't trust our coworkers. Maybe we don't have other Black women, professional friends in the environment that we can talk to about our issues and about our particular situations. So it can be a real lonely place in the workplace. Joanne, let me just jump in right here and just kind of like just add a little bit, um, maybe just share a really short story about when you talk about um, disadvantages, depression. And I know that that is something in the Black community that um, is very prevalent, but we are told to ignore the symptoms because it just doesn't exist. I'm here to say that it does. And uh, it impacts you in different ways. Um, my my really example or experience is, you know, the loss of my, my oldest child um, and trying to be the strong Black woman, coming back to work too early after mm-hmm. her after her death, uh, also taking care of a two-year-old. Um, I was discovered by a colleague who came up to me as I was following some papers at the file cabinet. And she said, why are you crying? And I'm saying, I'm not crying. He says, you're standing here crying. And I didn't even realize that I was crying. And at that moment, it just, they all, all, it just, but we had an ugly cry, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. and people who don't look like us don't know how to deal with, with us when we have an ugly cry. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and that was just, I was depressed and I didn't know. I mean, I had a, you know, I lost my oldest child. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a two-year-old, which I hadn't, you know, became the custody of a two-year-old and mm-hmm. my whole life changed from yeah, what yeah. it was. And it wasn't, you know, I wasn't angry at my daughter because the accident was not her fault. But just to put in that resilience and that strength and that that language and that recording that had been drilled into my head, you have to be strong, you have to be strong. And I was. All through the identification, all through the claiming of property, all through the uh, funeral arrangements and burial and all that, I was a strong black woman well a month after all that i completely broke down and fortunately for the company that we uh joe and i both have worked for a telecommunication company they had an excellent um eap or you know resources for people Mm -hmm. to get counseling or help or whatever right and um I was led by a coworker. <laughs> At that time, we had an office right in the building, and and they immediately took me off work, and I was probably off work about six months. But I had been choked and strangled with "you cannot break down," and wow. I'm here to say, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you Thank can. You, Joanne. <laughs> I tell you, Dr. Charla, I, I I have heard you talk about this experience um, more than once, and it always affects me. It always affects me, and I am sorry for your loss. And I just, you know, again, go back to that time, you know, and feel bad that there wasn't, um, you know, a group of, um, you know, Black professional friends in that environment that just kind of took you under their wing and took care of you uh, earlier, you know, um, so that that you um, weren't alone, you know, in that experience. And I'm glad that you got, glad that you got the help. Because sometimes um, when we have experiences, uh, shattering experiences like like this. Um, We don't know what to do. We don't know what the right thing is to do. And we think, well, if I just go back to work, you know, um, uh, (laughs) you know, I'll be so busy. I'll be so involved with work until it won't affect me. And as I said earlier, if you don't have, you know, those uh, close professional uh, supporters uh, in the workplace, and uh, a lot of times we don't have those because we don't 
want to share our personal stories, what's happening in our lives, because, you know, you don't know how it might affect the next job or the next promotion or the next assignment. So we keep it in. We keep it in and then we start to feel guilty because of the way that it's impacting us. So I can add that I can add that uh, the job doesn't care. And we need to understand that. That is so true. The boss, even though reaching out to me, asking me how I was doing, his last question, when are you coming back to work? (laughs) So um, they have a bottom line. Yeah. They have a bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. And, and And whether we like it or not, the reality is, Work, the work is really going to go on with or without us. Absolutely. We can can do it when we're not well and we're not healthy, or we could, you know, not do it and not be there. Because if there was some reason, like you said, you were on a leave for several months, the work went on. It went on without (laughs) us. It it, it goes, it goes on. So, (laughs) you know, you make the decision as to to how you want to participate in that. But, you know, I think what we're saying, the bottom line is, is that um, um, we may think that we, you know, by remaining at work during very difficult times, holding up, soldiering on, um, burying it, we might think that we're being strong and others might think that of us, but it's not healthy for us. Mm -hmm. It's not healthy for us, as, you know, your example pointed out. So tell us a little bit about where your uh, strong black woman, where did that originate for you? How did, how did you, how did, what is is that to you? Yeah. I think the only two, and this is really sad that I can't include my mom in this, my mother in this, but I happen to have a great grandmother uh, Elma Green and a grandmother and uh, I'm going to say her middle name she's probably going to roll over uh, Belle <laughs> Left Ball <laughs> that raised me. I mean they raised me from the time I was uh, five days old until I was 15 and these women were so strong and so just influential in why my work ethic for one, uh, my morals, my values, it all goes back to them and help me, give me that foundation mm-hmm. to be who I am today. And right. without that, I think I would be a different person. Uh, it's unfortunate that I can't say that my mother was a part of that, but I mean, basically, even though there are 12 of us, I was raised basically as a single child between my grandmother and great-grandmother. So, and the experiences that I have with them and the stories that my great-grandma shared of, you know, having been part of the lasting days of slavery and and the things, you know, when we would be on the back porch doing laundry on Saturday, which was three, excuse me, two number three tubs and one number two tub <laughs> with the blue ain't in it with the ringer machine and, you know, just listening to my great-grandmother and grandmother <laughs> talk about stories and stuff like that. And then, you know, okay, it's time to hang them on the, on the clothesline. We didn't have washers and dryers. So and if you're young enough, you probably don't know what a ringer washing machine is. <laughs> it is not fun. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know if some of our listeners uh, even know what a number two and a number three tub would be. Uh, well, the fact that I still know means I use it a lot, right? <laughs> now, if you promise us, okay, you know those things that you buy when you're having a party uh-huh, and you, and you put, put sodas your in. ice <laughs> and put your sodas in your wine, your right. beer, in, that they might be able yeah. to two for yeah. rinse and one for what is now called. Uh, it was called bullying in the day. I don't know. They probably don't make it, but I don't know what they call it now. But something to make it close, white, and crisp, whatever we use today. So, and then you put on the line and they dry by the sun. The The laundry dries by the sun and it's that fresh and crisp and they're hard to fold because it's stiff as a board, <laughs> whatever. But those two women, that's where my work, my, my work ethic came from. It also comes from my grandmother. 
was a domestic nanny housekeeper what you know i don't know what the title was but um she took no, care it was of no. caucasian <laughs> children you know she took care of caucasian children uh families and i would go to work with her on occasion and yeah. i'd watch her iron clothes underwear and i would say why are you why iron underwear so that's how mr wants it and i'm going like you know, my little mind upset her. But anyway, <laughs> baby, watch what I'm doing. See what I'm doing. I do not want this for you. I do not want this for you. Right. I want you to go to school. I want you to get your education. And I know you're going to be somebody. So, you know, and that has always with me and that was my foundation um, I think the most devastating thing that resulted from her being a domestic was when she got diagnosed with cancer and she fought off going to the doctor for months and instead of going to take care of the law she would put a face towel under her bra strap and go on to work um, she was paid in cash, so there was no social security. There was none of that, uh, and no medical. So she wound up going to the county system, which um, um, was the most devastating thing I had to witness with her. And I won't, I won't go into that story. But uh, I saw a strong black woman just shrink and shrink mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. shrink mm-hmm. till she couldn't fight anymore. Hmm. So that's my rock. That's my foundations. Uh, so, yeah, my hats. My hats definitely off. Um, you know, like like you. For me, my grandmother uh, was Miss Sadie Harris. I mean, she <laughs> Miss Sadie Harris. The whole right. thing, the whole phrase to everybody. She was my uh, uh, model of a strong black woman because. I saw her, you know, kind of thinking about some of those terms and some of the language that we hear associated with, uh, you know, with strong black women kind of holding up, you know, she was just grace and so cool. I just remember her, you know, being dressed and it would be in the hot uh, Florida (laughs) heat. And I don't know that I ever saw her sweat or have perspiration (laughs) or anything. So she was just, to me, the definition of cool. Um, Just able to overcome, you know, able to uh, work through just uh, serious, serious situations and figure Mm -hmm. out a way to, you know, to kind of deal with it. Um, Mm -hmm. But she also had, you know, had a reputation of being unapproachable you know, and mm-hmm. kind of selfish and having things her way and kind of directing the family in the way that she felt, you know, they needed to, they needed to go. So, um, you know, like you mentioning your uh, grandmother, um, you'll hear a little bit more about Miss Sadie Harris and some of our future, <laughs> some of our future programs. So uh, just thinking about, again, even my grandmother um, and your uh, grand grandmother, you know, and thinking about situations we see today, do you think that strong black woman, that whole myth, that whole thing, um, you know, think it's more positive or more negative? What do you think? Oh, let's see. I'm going to use my psychological anchor answer that I learned in organizational behavior and say it depends. That's fair. It depends. I think it's going to depend on, on the situation, the yeah. environment, yeah. Um, the folks, yeah. the folks in that environment. Mm-hmm. And it is also about their values, their behaviors, and their mm-hmm. norms mm-hmm. as how they interpret me as a strong black woman. You know, some audience will say that I'm aggressive. Some mm-hmm. will say I'm angry. Mm-hmm. I'm sure when I'm angry, I have just cause, but again, that's my opinion. 
Yeah. I think that the pressure, you know, is that we have to hold on for the sake of the family. I've taken non-traditional jobs before where I was like the only woman um, in a trade that was um, basically all men. And the the horror of all that I took, I survived because I had to feed my kids. Right. I had to feed my kids. You said obligation. Um, yes. Peace. Obligation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Obligation. Um, you know, we're like grace under under pressure. I mean, no matter what happens, you're not going to see it on my face. That's where the high emotions come in. You know, mm-hmm. no matter what I might be thinking in my head, I depend on the situation. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to take it. Uh, I might go in the back or get home and scream or whatever, drink a bottle of wine. I don't know. <laughs> Just, you know, whatever, whatever is necessary. And it's about overcoming, overcoming bar- barriers and challenges. Yep. My own gratification, even though it may be short-lived. Yep. And uh, the breaking down crying, that is an absolute no-no. Uh, I must attest that that hasn't always worked because I have cried. And usually when I cry, it's a danger sign for anybody that is near me because, <laughs> because I'm angry. I'm angry. And those are not tears of fear or anything. It's tears of danger for the opposite person. <laughs> so share my secret here be warned <laughs> uh and just dealing with stuff that you have to do the balancing scale like you know what is this word do i do this do i not do this and then most of the time you make a decision to do it and suffer you suffer the consequences in silence yeah um and you know living with uh tremendous burdens and responsibility sometimes those work responsibilities are so work and personal responsibilities are so heavy and nobody asks Mm -hmm. you know they're your problems we got our own problems yep yep uh, i've often been told that i'm unapproachable Mm -hmm. that's because i'm putting my protective armor on because I don't know what I don't know what you're coming with. So before yeah. you before you get to me, I'm protecting myself. Yep. That will might change after we start talking, but automatically I am on defense. And that's just by way of how my life has been. Mm-hmm. And I'm really selfish about myself. May not take care of myself, but I'm really selfish about what I need to do for my family and for me mm-hmm. to do better. Mm-hmm. So, so Joanne, what's your take and your view of strong black women as a negative or a positive? You know what I I, I think it's both. I think it's both, and I think it means different things for different generations. Um, you know, I think every generation has kind of, from a negative view, you know, we've internalized, um, all kind of secrets, sometimes lies, you know, truths, uh, regrets that we have, the regrets about loss, you know, loss of, uh, friendships, relationships, even things like things we didn't complete. That's a loss. I didn't complete high school. I didn't finish college. I didn't start that business I was supposed to to do. Um, those are things we kind of keep to ourselves and don't talk about them. And they tend to build us up into maybe, as you said a little earlier, being unapproachable. Um, and I don't want, I can't let too much out, you know, about, about myself. Uh, from a positive standpoint, gosh, I just think that whole strong black woman thing has sustained generations of black women when we didn't have nothing else, when we didn't have positive role models other than those grandmamas and those aunties and, 
you know, those great grandmamas in our in our family, that even though they were, and the word for that is the help, they were the help. But when they got home, they took care of business. They took care of their families. They took care of their communities, their churches. Because, um, you know, when you listen to people, especially these people that I'm the first this, I'm the first to do this, I'm the first this, that, the first, whatever. Uh, they almost always talk about a relative and it's it's almost always a, a black grandmama or mama or somebody <laughs> yes that provided them with whatever they needed to you know to kind of get through so i think you know with all the things that we as a community have had to deal with over the years you know slavery and then after that jim crow and all of that craziness mm-hmm. you still are inspired by what plain ordinary people do, black women do to keep their families moving forward and to keep themselves moving forward. So I I just think, you know, it's a hard one for me because Mm -hmm. I see it as both a a negative thing and both a a positive thing. Right. So what does it look like in media, movies, cultural and, and historical aspects to you? Um, okay, so everybody that knows me knows that I'm, you know, love uh, history and um, reading and under, you know, just learning more and more about culture. So I think uh, I think that strong black woman is a cultural phenomenon. I really do, um, because, like I said earlier, I think I said it anyway. Um, that, that's all that you know the young ones had at one time to look up to. You know, we didn't have the role models on TV or in sports or in other places that mm-hmm. showed us. It was what our grandmothers told us, showed us. Um, they they were us, you know, they were the, the <laughs> older us's, you know, because our the men, you know, the husbands, fathers and the brothers, they historically had little emotional support, you know, to offer. You know, they were often silent. Um, many times they weren't even there. They may have been working away from home, away from the city or the town, or they were just absent, you know, physically and many times absent emotionally. I know that was, you know, certainly present in the men that I witnessed in my family. Um, you know, a lot of times they were dealing with their own depression, their fears, um, you know, their feelings of just not being able to care for their families the way that they, as men, wanted to and knew that they had a responsibility to uh, but they were dealing with the systemic racism discrimination and discrimination I'm sorry and bigotry and mm-hmm. all that inequality and you talk about angry black women the anger and rage of just being a black man in America um I think about my father um especially as I've gotten more and more mature you know I Think about the, all the issues that he must have endured, you know, with the large family, because there were like seven seven of us kids um, just living and trying to make a living in the deep South during that time. You know, the 50s, late 40s, 50s, early 60s. He was a quiet, very hardworking man, but he had some very, very deep, buried anger and was so abusive to my mother. Um, who I think at times was, you know, like a constant reminder of all his shortcomings. Um, While I'm not embracing or excusing, you know, his physical abuse, the more I think about it as I've gotten older and am able to look at it from different angles, I've forgiven him for it. I think of him in a different way. Um, You know, I kind of made the decision to let my anger go. Um, that was buried really deep and hidden deep inside me. I think carrying memories of abusive situation um, uh, certainly, you know, was part of my makeup. And who knows, probably contributed to a lot of my strong Black woman makeup that, you know, I that's not what I'm going to allow to happen or allow my children um, to witness. So historically, you know, our, I I think my opinion, our claim to being a strong Black woman is that we're just reminded of how our ancestors and our mothers, grandmothers, how they endured the horrors of living post-slavery, Jim Crow era. 
how how hurtful it must have been for them to care and nurse white children when their own kids many times went uncared for. And a lot of times that role fell to the oldest girl in the family or the only girl in the family. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, she grew up becoming a strong black woman because that's what she saw and, and, and knew about. So just, you know, just some thoughts on, you know, kind of how my take on what I've seen and experienced in my own family. Yeah. I just want to add a, a little bit to what you said about, you know, the, your father and my grandfather was actually present in my life during the, you know, the, the strong black women, but he didn't have a presence. If, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense, he was yeah. physically there, but as far as being emotionally, I mean, he gave me this awful nickname and I'll never repeat it, but you know, he doted on me and, and did all that. But as far as when I would see the interactions between my grandmother and him, uh-huh. he would, she would stand toe to toe with him or mm-hmm. any man. Mm-hmm. And so he was more invisible. He was there. But he yeah. really didn't have an impact as far as me of the foundation laid. And I just wanted to, and it's probably some of the same thing because he's from the same area, born mm-hmm. in Texas, mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. all that other stuff from the 30s, 40s, whatever. And I was too young. Even with all that. Yeah. Yeah. How can you provide emotional support when you weren't respected or treated like a man and, uh, this is, had been, you know, going on and this was the way of the world. There, there's just no way to really be able to understand what those men right. endure. And, you know, they're just, they're just isn't. And the other thing is they don't talk. So there's no way for us to know. No, of course not. Yeah. Of course so. not. So what's been your experience in the workplace? Oh, goodness. Um <laughs> Since I think we're in the same genre. Or- yeah, Jory, I think thinking, thinking about, I think in thinking about um, strong black women, um, you know, there are just so many examples that either I've witnessed or, you know, uh, friends have talked about how we somehow wear that face, you know, it's a face, it's a certain, I don't know, stride perhaps of, uh, you know, kind of all self-sacrificing you know, just kind of showing again that strength, masking our emotion, you know, sometimes pain, frustration, a disappointment. Um, even though when it takes even when it takes an emotional toll or a physical toll, we still somehow just plow through it and, you know, bear it, hold up. Um, and what we're masking a lot of times is just feeling undervalued. Um uh just uh, overlooked, marginalized, especially when we're the only black or brown face, you know, kind of sitting around around the table. We are just, um, and it, and I think it continues to a large degree today. There may be a few more black and brown faces sitting around the table. Um, but the word that I get from, um, you know, younger women um, today is that they feel just as undervalued and just as marginalized as you know, perhaps we felt, you know, back uh, during the the time, um, you know, our, our early working days. There's so many um, examples of our having to train, you know, uh, white men, you know, who eventually take over our jobs, you know, for jobs that we deserve to have and we should have had. Uh, how do you? How do you? I don't know. How do you? How do you? Um, how how can you just take that over and over and over again? You know, yet we somehow did it. And I think we continue to do it. That's yeah. the resilience part of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess it is. But I tell you, sometimes I think about a situation where um, uh, we had a, I was working for a company and uh, uh, we had a director position that was, o- that was open. And um my counterpart for this position, we were both regional managers. Uh, I was responsible for Northern California. She was responsible for Southern California. 
And we had, both of us had stellar reputations. I, if I say so myself, we had stellar reputations in the company. Uh, we both oversaw uh, advertising portfolios, uh, collection. Uh, we did collections work. We had oversight for departments that were anywhere from um, 40 to 50 people. And so this director position became open. Um, you know, you could apply for it and interview for it, which we did diligently. And technically, that was our next step. You know, we were excellent uh, managers. And we were in that middle kind of middle management role. So anyway, <laughs> needless to say, the job went to a white man, a West Point graduate who had absolutely no experience in our feel, our work, didn't know squat about anything, but um, he became our director. We ended up training him and um, we just both were absolutely livid. Um, we talked hours about what we should be able to do, but we didn't do it because we didn't, one, didn't know how it would turn out. We both had families that um, we were responsible for. So we opted to, you know, go ahead, train him. You know, it wasn't his fault he got the job. And we just endured it. And we kept that same face on. We came to work every day. We did our jobs. We managed our people. We got the results. We continued to win the awards. And when opportunities <laughs> came for us to leave, we both left. And, you know, that was kind of how we handled the situation back then. Nobody ever knew we were mad, mad, mad about what happened. <laughs> Um, but it's we called have, flee with your feet. <laughs> yeah, because we didn't feel like we had much recourse. We knew we weren't going to get promoted, not in that department anyway. So we went to another one. You know, she was promoted a year later. And I think, you know, I went into a lateral uh, position, but it opened up a whole new field, you know, for mm -hmm. me. So that was a good move, you know, for me. Um, I think what I what I coach young women to today if they're in a similar situation is don't suffer in silence. Right. Don't suffer in silence. Assert yourselves. Mm -hmm. Talk about your contributions. Talk about your accomplishments. If you have an employee resource group, use that uh, to find out how can I get more information why, around why I didn't get the job. Ask for feedback. Let it be known that I might not didn't get the job, but I certainly want to know why I didn't. And those are the, that's the difference, I think, generational mm -hmm. difference. And um, that's the advice that I would give, you know, to, to young women today that are in a similar, similar situation. How about, you know, how about you? That's just one of many sure. stories. I, have yeah. in that area. I think um, most, the most recent before I retired uh, occurred and it was a, one of those things where they tell us don't do, don't cry at work. Mm. Well, I did cry at work, but as I said earlier, that was not the cry of of shrinkage of anything. It was the cry of anger. Mm. Uh, I have worked on uh, platform change or, excuse me, platform implementation, which means a new, a new system coming in because I have been doing all of my HR work manually. And I mean, manually, there was no system in place. Wow. So I negotiated the contract. I worked with uh, all the people, got it approved by everybody on the executive board and everything. And <laughs> so it was time for us to launch. So there was a big, big meeting. And I have worked with a lot of the people that were with the with the vendor. So we had a really good relationship, a good re rapport. Uh, right. They would call me when things were going wrong with the finance department or other areas that they need to get information and stuff like that. So, right. Um, right. and I was leading the meeting and there was finance and we wanted a Zoom call. It mm -hmm. was finance, three or four people from finance and then vendor reps I had worked with, probably five or six. And so I started the meeting. And I kind of went through, you know, how you do your introduction, you do what the, you know, where we were, where we're going, and, you know, how we want to finish. 
And I was going through that and I was talking to the vendors and then the CFO said, can you let the expert talk? Hmm. I, mm. I was silent for a moment and I'm saying in my mind, how dare you? How dare you? And you have not participated. You have not given me the information on a timely basis so that we could launch on date. I had to get it myself. You know, all those things are in my mind. Right. But I, of course, I'm going to take the bigger, (laughs) I'm going to be the bigger. Higher rope. (laughs) Now I wrote, wrote later. And so I asked the vendor, um, Salesperson, whatever. I said, could you explain what I just explained to Tom so that he can be assured that I am an expert in this particular uh, situation? And the guy went through every single thing and said everything I said. So I said, now, Tom, the experts have spoke. Do you have any more questions? And he turned Good red. For you. Good for you. <laughs> Turn red. And so we conducted our business. I was fuming. I was so angry black woman. <laughs> so I, I closed down the meeting. I, I stayed professional. I, I stayed. That's that. We got to do this. If I act a fool, it's not going to look good. Nope. So I got off the meeting. And I went straight to the executive deck, which is both of our boss. And I was like, tears with this. It's kind of one of those tears coming down. And she go like, what is wrong? What is wrong? What happened? What happened? And I just said, if Tom ever disrespect me again in front of company, vendors, questioning my knowledge and my expertise, there's going to be a problem. And she goes, what happened? What happened? I said, I can't talk right now. I can't <laughs> talk right now. And, you know, she's scared to death. <laughs> and so I went back in my office, closed the door, started, you know, trying to do. Depress. Yeah. Calm down. But I'm Decompress. Saying, right. dare him question all the hard work that I had done. That I knew, I mean, just not done, but that I knew what I was talking about. Right. Because nobody else had the time to do the project. So all the questions came to me and I was able to answer. And just the audacity of this Caucasian man to say that. But I think that's what put me over. <laughs> it's like, let the experts talk. Hmm. And he had the nerve to come to my office. Hmm. And I, he says, can I come in? I said, absolutely not. We don't have anything else to say at all, ever. <laughs> and he kept saying, but, but, but. I said, you heard what I said. And our relationship was just done for the last two years that I was there because I just. So, sorry, that was a long one. But, you know, it's just that questioning and that that we have to still be the bigger person no matter how much it hurts. Yep. And how much is untrue. So, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so, what do you think being a strong Black woman could hurt or damage women the most? Well, I've given some thought to that one. Um, I've given some thought to that one. And I tell you, to me, I think it it's really in the health and uh it's it's really in the health area and health and wellness area i really think it is um i tell you every time i hear just turn on the news almost or i just hear about the higher rates you know of of death to curable curable um, diseases because we delay treatment until late stages. Mm-hmm. We kind of ignore signs of weakness, and I guess where I'm the trying to go. My grandmother's cancer. That was yeah. a perfect example. Go with this, and 
Well, it's even worse today because back in your grandmama's days, she didn't have health care. Many times today, we have health care that we're paying for or somebody's paying for or we mm-hmm. have it through, you know, whatever system we're using. Um, and we don't use it. We, we don't use it because we ignore the signs. We're too busy taking care of other folk, other people, other family members that we just don't seek the health care. And then when we seek the health care, we don't ask for and demand the answers. We don't demand um, an, another opinion. You know, we just take that one doctor's opinion, even though we don't agree with it, or it may not be, you know, we don't, we just don't ask for that. And when we're entitled to it. And then sometimes I guess we're afraid to hear maybe that it's, that it's bad news or that it's gone really far and that it may need some type of bigger uh, remedy, you know, in order to fix. Um, You know, the area that just floors me is in maternal care, is in maternal care. And I don't know that this has so much to do with the person feeling like I'm strong, I can handle it. It's the perception of the healthcare provider that Black women somehow can we have a higher pain tolerance. We don't get the same care that white women get. We don't get the same uh, pain relief. It, it kills me to hear that Williams, this is a top tennis player. When she had her first child, she almost died mm-hmm. in childbirth. My own granddaughter, when she had her daughter, the experience that she had, she almost died in child care where the hospital had made a mistake and they tried to cover it up that they that they hadn't and um she was had internal you know internal bleeding and just i mean she went home had to go home with a new baby and a catheter because of a, of a mistake that the hospital made and i just you hear these stories over and over and over again the statistics say that black women have two times higher chance of dying in childbirth or childbirth related than white women. Now you tell me what is wrong with that? Where are those studies? Where are those, where's that information that we need to, we need to hear. So I think it's, it's in the area again, healthcare, us not being quote so strong that we can do it. We can handle it. Uh, I got to go to work. I got, I can't go for my appointment or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's the unbiased um, uh, racism that's occurring with our, with our healthcare providers, that they have this image and this view of somehow, I don't know where that came from, home or school, that somehow black women could tolerate more pain than, you know, than other, than other women. So we, we just have to, you know, really think about, think about that and get and use our psychological care. Mm-hmm. Use the EAP programs like you did years ago uh, to get some help. We're paying for them. Your companies are paying for them. And they're, they're private. They don't share information back with your employer. So that whole thing we're scared about, that information is going to get back, you know, right. to my job that I went because I'm having a, you know, a, a mental episode or whatever, they are not allowed to share that information back with with our company. So we need to use the benefits and the the programs that are available to us to use. But yeah, definitely it would be in the health in the healthcare area. Sounds good. So what about you? What uh, what do you think? Oh, I, I would I would agree. Um, since you know we both have worked with the healthcare. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> provider, <laughs> we know what the doctors are allotted to have for each pay, the time frame. Right. And so one of the things that I try to encourage people to is like, have your list of questions. Mm-hmm. And if you need more than that 20 minutes, then you need to push for that 20 minutes. I know 20, it's 15 to 20 minutes, depending on what kind of appointment. Right. And just ask the doctor questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions right 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 you know like and if the answer is what you want it to be then ask for another opinion that you know we don't we we're we're kind of scared to do that 
But we're paying. I'm, not, I'm older now, so I, I don't really. It's like whatever I got to ask me, uh, especially now with Medicare and we're paying for that. All this, like yeah. I need to ask questions because the healthcare I had is not like what I what healthcare I have now. It's completely different than what I had when I was working. Yeah. So uh, I want all my time <laughs> to ask all my questions to get all I my know questions. what you're gonna do, where you're gonna do it at. And why? Yeah. And why? And why? <laughs> and yeah. what's the result? And you know, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, exactly. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, you know, we've talked some about um, just uh, you know, kind of our take on on you know being strong black women or knowing strong black women how do we how do we you know in those situations that it's maybe not the most positive for us how do we manage that how do we how do we manage that when we know it's happening how do we turn those negatives uh into into more positives that's powerful that's powerful um i think we have to take each each uh, incident on its own and and figure out a strategy of what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. I think that's probably the mature place of because of where I am now and haven't worked so long. Now, when I was 18, 17 in the 1970s, I would not give that same answer (laughs) because it it would be completely different. But I think that it's important to um, to talk, to get some advice and counsel from people that you trust. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I can say, based on my experience, that family is not necessarily the best folks to talk about because they are not in the industry, or they you have gone you may have gone further than they have professionally. So their tendency is to ignore and keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the generation that as I matured and became more aware, self-aware of how my actions can trigger somebody else or just listen so I can see, I, I began to develop ways or steps or methods to, mm-hmm. to deal with that. So mm-hmm. I can't say that from my earlier years in my career because I was very arrogant, and very defiant and condescending. So, but I, I did change. <laughs> I, I, I did change. So um, we want to treat ourselves like we treat, you know, uh, treat others like we treat ourselves and, you know, take care of ourselves. Take care of our, our friends uh, who allow us to take care of it. Sometimes you have friends who don't who push you away, and you have to recognize that and not um, shadow them and just let them come to you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <laughs> we need to say we are exhausted. We have a tendency to say that we are to everybody that we are fine. But actually, in reality, we are fucked up, insecure, neurotic, (laughs) and exhausted. And we need to be okay. Maybe not saying it quite that way, but, you know, that's a good thing to think about. Before you get ready to say, fine, think about what that that acronym means. And maybe you want to say, okay, or I can do better. Mm -hmm. And that's acceptable. Maybe someone else won't accept it, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. Or I'm good today. Or, you know, today's (laughs) not the best day. (laughs) Yeah. I, I was like, I'm not, it's not a good day. I don't want to see people. I don't want to talk to nobody. And when you're in HR, that's kind of a harsh stand, but I have done that. It's like, I don't want to deal with this today. <laughs> well, sometimes that's pretty bad with the HR person. I don't want to see nobody. <laughs> it is. It's my truth. <laughs> I mean, I'll do what I have to do, but it's like, if I get one 
more stupid problems. <laughs> people do stupid stuff and it, you know, bring, anyway. Bring me a smart problem. Bring me something that I have to really <laughs> yeah. think about. The I sad agree. thing is the sad thing is that we all know this stuff. When something yeah. is negative or positively affecting us, like we said earlier, we know we need to get help. Yeah. And today we have access to so many different types of resources online. Yeah. I mean, everything on your phone, there's really no excuse or medium that you can't get resources for um, mental mental health care or psychological issues or just talking. I mean, everybody puts it out there. Some is free, some is not free. Uh, when it's not free, you need to check with your health provider or your EAP to find out, yep. you know, what that is. And yep. there's no shame in the game in doing that. Right. I found that as I talked about my losing my daughter. And then I lost my son. So I, I by the time I lost my son, I knew all the steps <laughs> of what I need to go and what I needed to do. So um, the key is just breaking uh, the negative cycle, not repeating the same cultural and generational strong black woman heavy coat that we wear. Uh, we need the face on and leave the I'm fine. But really, as I said earlier, be okay, be bold, say, I'm fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and exhausted, and call it a day. Uh, yep, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, again, I just kind of want to emphasize all the resources that's out there that over time and uh, has developed. And again, I agree with you. There, There just is no reason for you know, kind of sinking into whatever it is we sink into um, because I don't have anybody to talk to or I don't have anyone I want to trust with this. There's always somebody that you can talk with and you don't necessarily, you know, have to pay for that. Um, you can find out a heck of a lot of stuff on your own. So uh, we just kind of say strong black women know our value. And then add a little bit more for the tax. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's okay if we make mistakes and show let's, emotion. Let's do it at the same percent as California tax and the 10% or something. Now, I don't know what it is. Really? No, it's, it's higher, it's higher <laughs> than um, that. We don't pay tax in Texas, so yes, <laughs> I tax. Know. <laughs> I know. So just kind of know what our value is. Um, know the difference between that forced obligation, those that heavy coat that we call it a heavy coat of obligation that we all wear. Um, we're not telling you not to be responsible, but we're just saying know the difference between obligation and responsibility. You know, kind of recognize uh, when we're being marginalized, underutilized, and not valued. Address it. Address it assertively, not aggressively. Not a couple of things. Doctor Charlotte uh, <laughs> explained in her flashback. Sorry in her youth. In her youth. <laughs> But know how to address it by asserting ourselves, you know, by um, touting our accomplishments and our contribution. Uh, Practice. Become familiar with emotional intelligence. Know how to manage yourself when you're in these particular situations. And all you want to do is just lash out at somebody. But you're in a professional environment and you have to act always as if you are. And let's always ask ourselves about our favorite acronym, F-I-N-E, are we really fine? Are we okay? Or I'm good, as in today, right now. So that's our program number three, Strong Black Woman. Uh, We hope that you've gained even one insight or heard something that inspires you to learn a little bit more about the topic and to do something. You know what, guys, we know this podcast is not for everybody, and it is for a lot of somebodies. Okay. Joe and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Uh, We always try to leave leave you with a little nannyism each episode. So for today, we have for you 
deal with yourself as an individual worthy of respect and make everyone else deal with you the same way. And that is by Nikki Giovanni, the poet. Right. Uh, Thank you and take care. Please listen in to our next podcast. Number four, claiming your worth and adding some tax coming soon. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for tuning into our podcast, Wise Black Nanas. New programs of Wise Black Nanas are on the 1st and 15th of each month. Listen in as you learn more about Wise Black Nanas, Dr. Sharla Walker and Joanne Early. They are everyday nanas. They are not famous, not celebrities or rich. Well, rich in life and its experiences. We want you to come back. Tell your friends. So look for Wise Black Nanas podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Learn more about them and the coaching services they offer at www.wiseblacknanas.com.